applauded Tim for standing upright. <laughs> yeah. Well, good morning. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad you decided to join us. I'm going to check in with you. If you were here last week, uh, one of the things that we uh, offered to you as a, a practice for this week was to give up all media uh, in all forms, if you wanted to do that, and it replace it with worship music. Now, I had people coming in today telling me about that, thanking me for doing that. So they're, they're going, you know, I didn't know how angry I was. I didn't know how overwhelmed I was. Uh, I didn't, they just have said thank you repeatedly for doing that. Now, our family, uh, when you've, we have three kids who we realized, oh, wait, our children are, I think, attached permanently to a device. Um, so we had to try and pull them away from it, and we're going to do it again this week. Now, you don't have to. If you want to join me, great. We're going to do it again because we liked it. We liked the, the benefit that came from it, and so we're going we're gonna to do it again this week. Uh, someone even sent an email to me yesterday. Uh, I want to read you what they said about it. Uh, they said, I missed Facebook at first uh, because, I, because I wanted to post this or I wanted to post that. But until my mind was light, I didn't realize how burdened it had become by the politics and general lack of positivity on Facebook. Sometimes I know I hide in the busyness of my mind to keep from having to feel things, but I found myself humming Christian songs all day. My days felt better starting with the Bible instead of the phone. Listen, now listen to this. My mind had been so cluttered that I missed the truly organized person I used to be. Wow. This was my insight from the week for me, is that our devices that we're so attached to now are creating a digitized version of ourselves so that we're not really us. We're the digital version of us. And I don't know about you. I don't want to be that person. So I, if you want to do it again for another week, have at it. I think it'd be a great thing. Well, I want to uh, be welcoming you to uh, this uh, week. This is week three of our series, Overcoming. We're looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the Christians in Colossae. And we always read a passage of Scripture together every week. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. And we're going to read this passage of Scripture out loud together. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along, and I'll read it out loud. The Apostle Paul to you and to me. Chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, Rage, malice, slander, and fil filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is neither Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks for standing. Well, to catch you up, uh, if you've not been here for the series, also just as a reminder of where we've been, uh, we started out the first week and said, hey, what if you could change the hashtag of your life from whatever it was on the scenes of your life that you wish you could overcome, and even of your life itself, maybe those, that hashtag was I give up, or I'll always fail, or I'll always lose, or uh, winning today, but not tomorrow. What if you could change the hashtag, and the hashtag of your life would be I shall overcome. Now, some of you have really latched onto this, and you're sharing this with other people, and you're talking about it, and you're, you're saying, man, I really want that for myself. And then what we've been saying is, okay, so if you're going to do that, if you're going to be the kind of person 
who rises above their circumstances instead of sinking below their circumstances, then you're going to have to put into place some things to become a different kind of a person. Uh, and so what we've been suggesting is that there are, there are three things that anybody does that is a person who overcomes. And so last week we looked at the first thing, which is you've got to think about better things. You've got to change what you think about. The Apostle Paul says, so set your minds on, and your hearts on Christ. and Set your minds on the things that God is about. So you set your mind on your destination and it begins to work its way back into your life and change your life. Starts all, everything begins with a thought. Some of you found the power of that in not having media this week. And then the second thing that we're going to look at today, we're going to do two, this in two parts, one part today, another part next week. It, first, you've got to think about better things, and then you've got to take off the bad-fitting things, and we're going to talk about that. And so today, what I want to do in, in talking about that, what this, this passage that we read in Colossians chapter 3, uh, I want to talk to you, it, it's about how to overcome sin. Now, I'm going to provoke you a little bit. I'm going to kind of stir you up. You're probably going to walk out going, hey, wait, what about, but, and you're going to go, I want to I wanna know how to do that. Well, you got to come back next week. <laughs> so next week we'll talk real practically about how to make this a reality. Uh, but what I want to talk to you about today is how to overcome sin. Now, even when I say that word, when I talk about sin, you have some sort of reaction to that. You might think that sin is something that bad people struggle with or that non-religious people struggle with or people who are not followers of Jesus. But that's not the case at all. Sin is the the human problem. This is the way the Bible paints the picture. Uh, One of the key words that's translated as sin in the New Testament is a word from archery, and it means to miss the mark. And this is the human problem, isn't it? Not only that we try our hardest to hit the mark and we miss it because we're people full of errors and mistakes and misunderstandings, but sometimes we choose an entirely different target to hit altogether. And I would suggest to you, this is a, that, that when the Bible talks about sin, it's talking about our common human brokenness. And that common human brokenness that we all share is the thing that separates us from other people and puts us at a distance from other people. And it's also the thing that separates us from God and puts us at a distance from God. And we're longing for this reconnection with God that we can't quite put into words. And, and so the reality about sin, since it's the common human problem, is that everyone you know struggles with it. I've, uh, I'm reading chronologically through the Bible this year. I'm using a, a reading plan on the YouVersion app, if you have that. Uh, I'm not bound by what it tells me i got to read every day, so I'm taking my time going through it. And I uh, was reading in Ecclesiastes this week, and I came across this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you've never read Ecclesiastes, I highly recommend it in the Old Testament. And this is what uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, because he's, he's giving this um, experiment on life, and he tried literally everything in his life, money, women, partying, uh, wisdom, and he said, man, it all seems so temporary. And this was his observation about human life. He said, there's not a righteous person on earth who does what is right and never sins. Think about the best person you know, the holiest person you know, the most perfect in your view of things person that you know, that person struggles with sin. Every single person struggles with it. So when, I, when I'm talking about overcoming sin, I'm not, I'm not up on a high horse telling you what you ought to do. In fact, one of the things that I love about our church is that this is a me-too church. So you're going to come here, and you're going to find people who don't say uh, something different. They say, me too. Now, there are some churches that are uh, you-need-to churches. So you go, and someone basically, in one sense or another, wags a finger at you and says, you need to, and they're kind of up on their high horse, it seems, and so you wonder, 
was that person even living the same world that I do? And this, what I love about our church is this is a me too. You're going to come and you're going to say, I struggle with this. Me too. Me too. Me too. Because this, uh, this is our problem. So I'm, I'm talking to you this morning about our problem that we face together. And, and I would also suggest to you that sin is at the root of every circumstance that you need to overcome. And if you're going to change the hashtag of your life to I shall overcome, you're going to have to learn to overcome sin. If you, could, if you could trace all the problems back to something, you would find out that someone somewhere missed the mark in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And you're going to have to learn how to overcome that. Now, here's how I know this is your problem and mine. One of the main reasons, one of the main uh, convincers for me of this is that one of the guys who wrote the majority of the Bible, at least the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, said so. 2,000 years ago, he gave us this list in Colossians chapter 3, and it reads like a list of things I could scroll through Facebook and find, <laughs> right? I could turn the channel and find every one of those things. It's so modern. It's so contemporary. And, and if you were to go through that list, and next week we're going to go through it in some detail, uh, not this week, but, but if you were to go through that list, you would, you would, if you were honest, you would at, stop at some point in that list and go, yeah, me. That's me. That's the one that I struggle with. And we want to help you overcome sin because you're going to have to learn how to do that. So I would suggest to you that sin is still a relevant category and that you're going to have to over understand it if you're going to overcome it. Because the reality is you can't overcome something you don't understand, right? Uh, if you're a student, you, you wish that your parents were better parents, but they're not better parents because they don't understand you. <laughs> you're really confusing. We don't get you. <laughs> Right? So cut them some slack. If, on the other hand, if you're a parent, you look at your kids and you go, why aren't they better kids? Uh, and the reason is they're not better kids is because they don't understand life yet. So cut them some slack. So you, you can't overcome something that you don't understand. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pause and we're going to try to understand this, now, uh, understand sin and how to overcome it. So what the Apostle Paul gives us here in this list in Colossians chapter 3 is a list that he repeats uh, in several other of his letters. Now, the New Testament, the letters that Paul wrote were just that. He wrote letters. There was no email that he could send. He couldn't upload a video to YouTube to give instructions. He had to write out longhand a, a letter about the issues that these different churches were facing and send them this letter, and we have them as a record in the New Testament. And in almost all of his letters, he gives a list similar, similar to this because what he's saying is, listen, these are, these are the perpetual things that trip human beings up. And he gives them to us what we ought to do with them as commands. Now, he's giving these commands to Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you're not bound by these commands. If you follow Jesus, you give the allegiance of your life over to Jesus. And so then you, you say, okay, if you say it, I'll do it. If you're not a Christian, you're not in that spot. So this doesn't apply to you. But to Christians, he says... Um, this is, these are commands that you need to take seriously and do something about. Now, here's what I know. In writing this list, and as I read through it, I had some problems with what Paul said. I had some questions. I had some concerns. I'm like, now, wait a second. I'm not sure I agree with what you're saying right here. 
Uh, because this, these, the way Paul says it are problems for us as modern people because we think in the 21st century that we've grown past some things. We're beyond those things that other people in other ages struggle with. And so some of these categories that Paul puts his words in are kind of troubling to us. There are four of them, and we're going to talk through them this morning, and then next week we're going to come back and make it real practical about how you can overcome sin. But here's, here's the problems that I saw, and maybe you see these same things. Uh, this is the first problem, is that Paul is giving us a command. He's saying, you must do this. This is not optional. This is not a choice. This is not a, a multiple choice question where you can fill it out and go, yeah, that applies and that applies, but that one doesn't. These are things that you must do. Now, here's what I know about us. We hate to be commanded uh, to do anything. We hate it when someone tells us what to do, don't we? Like We don't believe that anyone has the right, actually, to tell us what we do. But let me say it to you like this. We'll put it on the screen. God's commands promote our good, not our freedom. God's commands promote our good, not our freedom. Now, what, and you may go, well, now, wait a second. What, what are you saying? Well, uh, because that kind of sounds wrong to us, uh, to our ears as Americans. See, now, as Americans, we believe that our highest good is our freedom. In fact, our country is built on the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. That's kind of what it's founded on. And I, I, wanna th- I want you to think about this, though, because this is worth reflecting on, the kind of society that we're building together when it's really more important for us as Americans that people are free in the way that we understand freedom than that people be good. Now, that's just worth you thinking about sometime this week and going, huh, I think that might be the case because here's what we think about freedom. We think that freedom is the ability to do whatever I want. That's exactly what freedom is. So so when someone commands us, we think, man, you don't have the right to do that. But I want to suggest to you that you can't be a good person and do whatever you want. Can't do it. You may go, yes, you can. No, no. Apply that same logic to other areas of your life. Listen, you cannot be a good parent and do what you want. Do whatever you want. I'll tell you why. If I did whatever I wanted as a parent, I'm not sure my children would still be alive. If I did whatever I wanted as a parent, I'm not sure some days my children would get fed or dressed or have their teeth brushed. You cannot be a good parent and do whatever you want. Doesn't apply. Doesn't work. You can't be a good employee and do whatever you want. If I was an employee and did whatever I want, um, I would eat chocolate in the morning. I would take a long nap. I'd work for about 30 minutes, and then I'd go home, right? You can't. You can't be a good employee and do whatever you want. They're mutually exclusive. It doesn't work that way. You you can't do it. You can't be a good student and do whatever you want. If you're a student and you do whatever you want, you will fail and you will end up homeless. That's the the outcome of you deciding to do whatever it is that you want. Uh, I I saw the other day at the NFL Combine where they, you know, basically show the skills that you have, the athletic ability that you have. Um, in Indianapolis, John Ross, a wide receiver for the University of Washington, set the record for the 40, the 40-yard dash. 4.22 seconds. 40 yards. One second every 10 yards. I mean, that's fast. Saw a picture of him. I mean, the, the, the dude is just, poof. I mean, he's just cut out of granite. 
I promise you, John Ross did not set that record by doing whatever he wanted. He disciplined himself. He put strictures on his body and on his practices. And I, I want to let me say, listen, if you want to be a good husband, you can't do whatever you want. Now, you might do whatever you want and say you're free and that your wife has no, uh, no uh, way to tell you what to do. You can do what you want. That's not love. But you can't be a good husband and do whatever you want. Now, I would suggest it's the same thing with you as a person. You cannot be a good person and do whatever you want. They don't work. Now, the irony is that our country, the freedom our country was founded on was the freedom from oppression and tyranny. And so the assumption was that people were going to take on sacrifices so that other people, this would remain a country forever, free from oppression and tyranny, not the freedom to do whatever we want. So we've confused what the meaning of freedom is. In fact, the writer to Hebrews says it this way. He said, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Maybe you didn't have a father who disciplined you, but maybe you had a coach or you had a teacher, and they, they gave you something that was difficult for you, and, now, and you hated it at the time, but now you look back and you say, man, I'm so glad they did that. When I was 17, uh, living in Dallas, Texas, uh, we, uh, we had a Chrysler LeBaron, super sweet vehicle, Chrysler LeBaron. And when I was a kid, we, uh, we grew up in, uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska as, a, as an elementary age kid where there's lots of snow and in Dallas, Texas, not a lot of snow. And so when I got my license, I assumed that because I grew up where there was snow, I somehow now knew how to drive in snow, which you know is total delusion of a 17-year-old. So my dad uh, let me drive uh, from home one day, uh, and I had a friend in the car. That's always a recipe for disaster. And I took it out, and I'm like, hey, watch this. And I'm, so I'm spinning the car around, and we went down an empty street, and I'm, I'm doing donuts. And, and w- during one of the donuts, I didn't see the median. And there's a wide street with a median. And it, as the, the car swung around, the rear end of the, the car hit that median really hard because I was going really fast and bent the axle to the tune of $1,700 worth of damage. You know what my dad did? Pay up, buddy. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. And I had to pay back $1,700. Now I look back, am I glad that my dad did that? No, because I had to pay $1,700. But here's what I am glad. Here's what I am. I look back now. I hated it at the time. But now I look back and I say, okay, my dad taught me that I have to be responsible for my actions. And now I appreciate, as painful as it was at the time, and as much money as it cost me at the time working a minimum wage job as a high schooler, now, now I really appreciate it. How much more should we understand that God means for our good, not just our freedom? So here's the action that you're going to have to have, is you're going to have to, you're going to have to learn to submit yourself to God and to God's commands. You have to learn to do that. We'll talk real practically about that next week. Here's the second problem, as I read through Paul's letter, is the language that he used. He talks about, uh, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And, and when he, that word there, earthly nature, in the original language, is real nuanced, and it means uh, put to death, your, it literally reads, your members that are upon the earth. And when he's talking about members, he's meaning the members of your body. Maybe you've heard your arms and your legs as your members, right? Your toes and your eyes and your ears, your members. And, and so we read that and we go, well, that's all I got is arms and legs and toes and ears. How do I put that to death? If I put that to death, I mean, this is like impossible. What, what is he talking about? 
But what he's saying with that is he's using a metaphor for a life that's opposed to God. It's what I would do if there were no God. It's how I would behave if there were no strictures on my behavior whatsoever. Maybe you've had this uh, thought experiment with someone before. I remember the first time someone asked me, and I went, what? But maybe someone's asked you and said, uh, if there were no consequences, none whatsoever for what you would do, what are the things that you would do? Now, however you fill in that list is your earthly nature. And Paul says, listen, uh, you have to put that to death. You have to find a way to kill that. We'll always, in some way, fight our flesh. Paul talks about this repeatedly in all of his letters. We'll, we'll fight our earthly nature. And, and what he's saying when he says that is, listen, there's, he's talking about the psychology and the physiology of how sin works. Because you know this about yourself. You know that when you choose a certain behavior in a, in a repeated way, what literally happens in your brain, the physiology in your brain, is you lay down a pathway in your brain. That's why habits are habitual, and you don't have to think about them. And what happens is we get into habit patterns of thought and behavior that take us away from God. And Paul says, you have to kill that to start over. So the action you have to take is you have to say, I'm going to kill the habits that take me away from God. You can't mess around with them and say, I'm just going to play around. You've got to kill them. Talk real practically about how to do that next week. Now, here's the third problem that I had as I read this, uh, is, is the, the, and I'll put this in a delicate way. We're going to talk kind of not real explicitly next week, so just think about if you have kids, if you want them in the room next week, this list. But let me put it in kind of a delicate way. Uh, Paul's talking about the values we have about how we can use our bodies, what's okay and what's not okay. And it's really a version of that freedom uh, that we think of as Americans. No one has the right to tell me what to do, so therefore no one has the right to tell me how to use my body. Now, I, I would say in the, in the cases of abuse and violation, no, no, no one has the right to do that to you. But I'm not sure about other things because I think that our cultural values about how we can or should or shouldn't use our bodies, what we should or shouldn't do with our bodies, and who has the right to say what we can and can't do with our bodies, I, I want to suggest to you those values are, are cultural. They're not the truth. They're just cultural values. Uh, we'll put this on the screen. Uh, our culture's values, any culture's values always shift. God's values always stick. Culture's values always shift, but God's values always stick. And you make it, no, 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 that's not true. My, those, these values are true, and I want to be on the right side of history about these things, and I don't want to be wrong. Stop. Let's consider this for just a second. Think back to your grandparents' And maybe your great-grandparents and some of the values that they held about life and what was important and who was okay. And you look back at them and you go, man, what was wrong with them? Now I want you to fast forward and think about when you have grandkids and great-grandkids, what are they going to look back on you and go, man, I can't believe my grandma was that nuts. <laughs> Can you believe what they thought in the 21st century? I know, how crazy, right? Because culture's values always shift, but God's values always stick. Now, this is how the Apostle Paul says it when he writes to the Christians in Corinth. He says, I, I may have the right to do anything, um, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything actually benefits me, no matter how many people are saying, this is the way you ought to do things, and this is okay. And, this is, he says, and you may say, I have the right to do anything, but don't be mastered by anything. Don't, have, don't, be under, don't become a slave to some way of thinking that everybody around you is embracing a cultural value that's going to shift in a few years with another generation. 
Instead, find a way to say, okay, I'm going to align, no matter how, no matter how it goes against the grain of my own understanding of what's important, I'm going to align myself with God's values. Now, if you've been around, you've heard me say this before, but if God only hates the people that you hate and dislikes the things that you dislike and likes the things that you like, guess what? That's a God you made up in your mind. Because you have to expect the God of the universe, the God of every nation, every culture, that's so, our cultures are so different, our values are so different, that if God does not at some point cut against your values and how you see things, then you're not serving the real God, right? Does that make sense to you? So you have to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to, the action for us is to say, I'm going to align myself with God's values. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to talk, again, real practically about how to do that. Now, here's the last thing that really kind of troubled me as I read uh, what Paul said. Um, he talks about the, the wrath of God. He gives this list, and he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is being revealed. And that's really troubling to us because we say, okay, listen, I, I thought God was about love. And for us, uh, love and wrath are like oil and water. They're, they're mutually exclusive. And, but here's the thing. When you read the Bible, you can't read both the Old Testament and the New Testament without coming across this idea, this phrase about the wrath of God. And I want to suggest to you that you actually want the wrath of God to be real. Let me give you an example. Um, I've, been, I've been trying to be a, a, a better parent since before I had kids. I've been trying to learn about parenting. I want to be a good dad. I don't always succeed at it. Sometimes I fail miserably. Uh, but I want to learn, so I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to get better at being a dad. And uh, so I know there are some ways of going about parenting that just don't work at all. They're actually harmful to children. Um, and people who write about this, they say, they call one of those ways that doesn't work, they call it permissive parenting. Permissive parenting is where you say, okay, listen, I'm just going to let my child decide. A one form of it says, well, you know, I don't want to foist my values on my child, so I'm going to let them choose however they want. And uh, basically you're saying, I, I'm going to let you pick everything that you want to do. And a lot of that stems from the desire of the parent to be a friend to the child instead of saying, listen, I'm the authority, you're going to do what I say, and when you're an adult, I'll be your friend. But until then, do what I say, right, when they're, especially when they're little. And, and so you want to be liked. And so it comes from a place, it's not terribly bad, but you, you, in, in doing that, you basically hurt your child and you harm your child because that's how you create a brat. That's how you create someone that's selfish that only thinks about themselves because they've been allowed their whole life to do whatever they want. And that is a way that, uh, that will destroy your child. Now, I also know that there are some things that my kids can get involved in that will destroy my children. And guess what? I hate those things. Uh, thankfully, uh, my oldest son's in sixth grade now. My other kids are in third and, and first grade. And drugs has not been a thing they've had to struggle with. They've learned about it at school. And, but I hate drugs. I hate them because I know if my kids ever got involved in them, it would destroy their lives. I also hate them because you come to me as a parent and you say, my son is an addict and I'm afraid I'm going to lose him. My daughter is addicted and I don't know what to do. Right? You, you, if you're a parent and you love your child, you hate the things that would destroy your child, right? You want them eradicated from the face of the earth. You never want them to ever touch another human being ever again because they're so terrible. And something like wrath gets kindled inside of you and you go, I hate that thing. I want it gone. Now listen, I'm a human being and I'm, I'm full of weakness and my wrath is not like God's wrath. It often and usually does go wrong. God, however, is, does not have my weaknesses. 
And he's able to channel that as an as a, as a expression of his love. Let me say it to you like this. God's love intentionally excludes what hurts you. God's love intentionally excludes what hurts you because that's what any good parent would do. No, bad, no good parent would say, well, I want all those things that will hurt you to just be in your life, and it's not a big deal. I'm not going to have to be, be angry about them. Uh, here's how Paul says it, because he repeats this phrase in Romans chapter 1. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against, now notice how he says this, all godlessness and wickedness of people. He's talking about behavior and actions, not people. Who suppress the truth by their, their wickedness. This is, this is why you want the wrath of God to be true. There are some things that are happening in our world today that are so awful and so terrible that if someone doesn't in the end judge those things and the people who engaged in those things and made money off of those things and used and abused people off of those things, then I'm not sure I believe in a God of love. I don't know if you know this, but there are more slaves today than there ever have been in human history. Now, some of them literally are, they take a family, someone comes in, they forcibly take a family, and they uh, literally put them in chains, they take them to a factory in Bangladesh, and they make bricks, all the family, no matter what age the kids are, and they're chained to this thing, and there's a whip, and there's someone who threatens them uh, for 12 and 15 hours a day. This actually happens in our world today. I'm not making something up. But there are either other darker things like human trafficking where you, uh, someone's trafficked in a way that abuses their body and the things that are done to little girls. And I hope you hate those things. I hope you want those things eradicated from the face of the earth. Man, I want the wrath of God to be revealed against that godlessness and wickedness because it destroys people. Absolutely destroys them. And I want those things eradicated. Now, so this is what the wrath of God does. It, the wrath of God... Um, God's love intentionally excludes whatever hurts you. So here's what I, here's what I hope happens. And we're gonna, again, we're going to talk about this in detail next week. I hope that you learn to hate the things that God hates. Not people, things, behaviors, actions that hurt and destroy other people. Because see, this is, this is God's heart. This is why the wrath of God is revealed against the things that destroy people. Because God doesn't want anyone destroyed and he doesn't want you destroyed. So he's willing in the end to judge and rid the world of those things. And, and I want you to become someone then who can overcome sin. And the hashtag of your life as you deal with the, the things that you're struggling with becomes I shall overcome because you know how to overcome sin. Now, at 1230 uh, today, we're going to step one of the on-ramp. Step one of the on-ramp is about how to follow Jesus. We're doing it old school. Uh, you just show up, 1230 to 130. We'll talk about that in more detail. So if you're new and you want to Check that out, it's four, the on-ramp's four classes, and it'll repeat next, the first Sunday of next month will be step one again. So if you miss it today, you can pick it up next month. But you'll learn how to, you'll learn how to do that, how to get God's help to do that. But I, I want us to pause at the end, and I want us to take an inventory of our lives. So I, I want to invite you, if you would, if you'd stand with me. And uh, I'm going to invite you to do an inventory of your life. And there may be places in your life where you say, I need to learn to submit to God. So I, here, could you do it this way? Just so no, everyone's kind of having their private moment. Maybe you'd shut everybody out, close your eyes, and give everybody a private moment between you and God. And maybe the thing for you is you need to say, God, I, I've got to learn to submit myself to your commands. You, you have a perspective that I don't. I'm limited. I'm bound by my culture. I'm bound by the things I was taught. And I want to learn that you, you mean my good, not my harm. It may be that you need to learn to hate what God hates. Because you've been allowing things that destroy people. 
You've said, that's not a big deal. Who am I to judge? I don't know what it is for you. But what's the thing where you need to say, man, I gotta, if I'm going to overcome sin, I've got to think about this differently. Tell that to God and just ask for God's help. Let me pray for you. Uh, Jesus, thank you that on the cross you overcame sin. You did. You overcame the whole thing. You nailed it on the cross and uh, you made a public spectacle of the things that overcome human beings. And then you rose from the dead as a vindication of what you did on the cross. And you give us that same power to overcome sin so that we are not stuck by our habits. We are not stuck by our mindsets. We are not stuck by our culture. We actually can be people who overcome. So God, we need your help. We need your help every single day. um, Having the attitude of a fighter to overcome, put to death what belongs to our members that are on the earth. We need your help every day. So we ask for it every day this week. We ask for it on Monday, and we ask for it on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, and on Thursday, and on Friday, and on Saturday, we need your help. So uh, we're putting ourselves at your disposal to learn from you. And we say thank you in advance for what you'll teach us. And all God's people said, amen. We always leave you with a blessing. You'll see people holding out their hands. It's their way of tangibly uh, receiving that. If you need prayer, you want to talk to someone individually, our prayer team will be down front after the service. Uh, Receive this blessing. May you know the love of God for you overcomes every barrier to be close to you. I mean, you know that you're sent now to love God in return and love the people around you and serve the world in Jesus' name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See ya.